0: Yeah, thank you so much um, for being here today on what was quite a nice day, So, um, although it's quite cool in here, so I think we've actually lucked out a little bit. Um, my name is Fiona, or Fee, as some people call me. Um, if I don't know you, then hello. If I do know you, then hello. Um <laughs> Hi, hi, Will. Um, so yeah, we are continuing our series today um, at this 4pm service, focusing on this theme of living wisely with Jesus, where we're thinking about practical ways we can live out our faith, not only for Jesus, but with him as well. And to do this, we're delving into the book of James. So each week we're focusing on a different chapter, hence why we've heard a whole chapter just read there. Um, And we're thinking a little bit about how we can demonstrate our faith um, to the wider world around us. So, in the first week of this series, we heard an overview of James um, from Andrew, and it's really worth a listen back if you haven't heard it because it brings this letter to life. He kind of just gives us the context of what's going on, and then um, the last kind of fir- the first chapter, Graham spoke on that, and he talked about WYSIWYG, that was yeah yeah um what you see is what you get yeah great um if you want to find out more about what that means you'll have to listen back um, to do it and you can do that I think there's a podcast um so I would recommend that and he was talking a lot about integrity and character faith and action um today I'm thinking about the second chapter of James, um, and I'm focusing in on how we can love our neighbours. That's the theme I've been given today, and we're going to unpack a few things, and hopefully we'll land well, but my prayer ahead of today is that whatever I say would feel encouraging and uplifting, um, that we wouldn't feel condemned, but that we'd feel challenged and convicted in the right way. Um, But before I go any further, I'd like us to pray. Um, Father thank you so much for the sunshine today, thank you so much for warmer weather Um, and thank you so much for um, the opportunity we have to gather together. Thank you God for um, the words we've read today and how rich um, your words are to us and I pray that anything I say today would be helpful and encouraging and that you would take away anything that is not of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to go a quick recap of the overall book of James, because you might be just dropping into this service, and you don't really know what James is about, why it's written, who wrote it. So just a quick pit stop. Um, Firstly, this letter is written by James, who was a leader of the early church, So it's actually not written to seem a specific person or a specific community. Instead, at the start of the overall letter, he says he's aiming it at the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So the people on the receiving end of this letter are Jewish Christians. They're exiled, they're spread out in foreign lands. And so as a result of both the sender and the recipient, this book is actually very practical and filters everything through a Jewish lens, which we will come to in a bit. Then secondly, as Andrew pointed out a few weeks ago, this letter often has a bit of a feel of a wisdom book, a bit like Proverbs. And what I especially like is that somehow James blends directness with an ability to not fill in all the gaps. He leaves space for us as listeners or readers to think about how we might respond in the middle. And I think he knew what he was doing when he wrote this letter. He knew that Christians needed to be reminded of some things, but he did it in such a way that would stir them into action. And I think he was expectant of the Holy Spirit doing some of the legwork. Um, Chapter 2 who we've just heard and read by Grace, um, is divided into two halves. So the first um, half is kind of around the pitfalls of favoritism, the law, and then the second half um, relates to kind of deeds, faith, words, and action. Um, And as I was preparing for today, I actually felt really drawn to that first section. So I'm just going to hone in on that today. Um, We probably could do a whole series actually on just this chapter. There's quite a lot going on. Um, And I want us to get curious about those first 13 verses and how they could help us to love our neighbours better. Um, But just to give you a bit of a Kind of put a bit of flesh on the bones of that second half. Um, it's about faith and deeds, words and action. It's very well known, so you might have heard quite a lot of that before. Um, and I think at some points over the past two thousand years, it's actually been quite a controversial bunch of verses. Um, been a lot of debate around which one we should be prioritising. Um, James isn't one for messing around. Um, He ends this overall chapter saying, faith without deeds is dead. He really does say it as it is. Um, But the key thread throughout this entire chapter, these 26 verses, is a concern for the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized, and those who are in need of help. And it's clear that James is really passionate about reminding his readers that they need to prioritize this group of people, Um, and that Jesus was very concerned about the well-being both spiritual and physical of people Um, and James is really trying to hone in on that Um, as believers of Jesus he's saying we need to demonstrate this through how we share love towards other people so with this in mind we're going to think about loving our neighbours perhaps hopefully like Jesus would And I would want to summarise the title of my talk. So we heard WYSIWYG was the title last week. My title is being R&R, not rest and recuperation, although we all need that. Um, uh, R&R, resist and retain. Quite strong words, perhaps. Um, Resist favouritism and retain the royal law. So let go of one thing and hold on to another. So, number one, resist favoritism. So, we all have favorite things. Um, hobbies, places, food, experiences, apps, YouTube channels. I don't really know about that sort of stuff. Um, so, my favorite thing to do is that I like swimming with my friends. Um, my favorite ice cream flavor, would, because it's a hot day, would probably be like Nutella Probably, which is a bit rogue, but it's just so yum. Um, And my favourite app is probably Instagram, just because there's lots of nice pictures on there. Um, So we all have favourite things, but how often are we willing to admit that we might have favourite people, that we might have favourite people in our lives, or indeed in our church community? that maybe we have people we prefer over others. That actually we can end up slipping into showing preference towards people who look and act a certain way or actually demonstrate some sort of social or financial influence. Yeah, so how often are we willing to admit that? Probably not very often. It feels quite uncomfortable, really. In verse 1 of this chapter, James says don't show favoritism. I don't think he's referring to Instagram, favorite apps, favorite things. He's not referring to these worldly things. He's referring to people, God's image bearers. And then later on in verse 9, he says, if you show favoritism, you sin are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So it's obvious that to James, this is a sticking point. To show bias or discrimination at the expense of someone else is a sin. And to flesh out his point, I really like, he gives us an example. He doesn't just say it, he kind of thinks, okay, let's, let's give you an example um, that would have been very relevant to the people he was speaking to at the time. So he paints a picture of their meetings, their church gatherings, perhaps a bit like this one. And he gives us two types of people who might have attended these. So you've got on the one hand, the man wearing fine jewelry and clothes, maybe regarded quite a lot of high status. And then you've got on the other hand, this poor man who's described as wearing shabby clothes. And he contrasts the treatment and attention these men are giving. One man is prioritized, the other is not. One man is offered a seat, the other is not. One man is noticed, the other is disregarded. And it all comes down to their worldly influence and status. Preference for one person comes at the expense of the other. Favoritism is linked to what might someone might be able to offer rather than who they are in Jesus' eyes. James seemed to suggest that the Christians he's writing to are slipping into this cycle. They're becoming judges of other people, deciding who wins and who loses. And I think we are often guilty of doing the same in our own church community and in other spaces we find ourselves. And yet, when we look to Jesus, he resisted all of this. He didn't show preference for the rich, the powerful, the influencers of his day. He associated with everyone, but the Gospels highlight his special attention towards those on the margins. Unmarried women, widowed women, the poor, the sick, tax collectors, children. Jesus was far more interested in someone's character than he was in their social status or their wealth. Loving our neighbors, according to James, starts with us refusing to show bias towards a certain group of people, instead choosing to treat people equally so that preference doesn't cloud our judgment or make us forget those at the edges. So, first R: resist favoritism. Next one, second R, R and R. I want to talk about retain. Now, that might seem like a strange word. Retain the royal law. If we were to think about that, like if we were to replace that with other words, we could say hold fast to, maintain, preserve, keep. Quite an active process, isn't it? Something retaining something. Um, so when we think of laws or commands, I wonder what sort of connotations or words might spring to your mind. Um, if I'm honest, the sorts of things that come to my mind are restrictive, restrictive, Maybe manipulative, um, rules are made to be broken, um, maybe actually a bit kind of restrictive of my freedom. Um, And as I was preparing this sermon, I had this image of us letting go of our worldly bias, letting go of that favoritism but actually that would leave our hands and hearts free to hold on to God's holy commandment, outlined by James in verse 8, which says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. So James is referring to the whole law, the royal law of God, but he gives special mention to loving our neighbours as ourselves. So it's clear that he has a bit of a concern about this for the believers he's writing to. And mentioning this would have reminded these Jewish Christians of the laws given by God through Moses in Leviticus chapter 19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he said, firstly, Love God with all that you are. But secondly, loving, we need to love others as ourselves. These two are the linchpins of what it means to follow God. And when asked who our neighbours are, I really like that Jesus doesn't give a blow-by-blow job description, person specification, definition. Instead, he suggests it's about the mercy we show towards others in times of need. And that's what sets us apart. I find it really interesting that James isn't honing in on that first command to love God. He seems far more interested in making sure the people reading or hearing his letter are reminded about that second commandment specifically. It seems like maybe, possibly, this is an area the Christians he's writing to are slipping up on. How much were they paying attention to the poor and broken Were they justice seekers or status grabbers? Retaining the royal law, retain, using that active active word again, it helps us demonstrate the inner work God is doing to the world around us. Loving others as ourselves is part of the big vision God has to bring the kingdom on earth. Showing care towards our own well-being and the well-being of others, we're giving people a glimpse of the care God has for image bearers his people loving our neighbors is not transactional or dependent on what we can gain it's countercultural and sacrificial and it can be both deeply uncomfortable and intensely freeing so i've talked about resist resist that favoritism and retain the royal law r and r And I want to come in to land now. Um, And I think we've touched on these principles of being quite active. They're doing words. I don't think James is suggesting we just sit back. Choosing not to show preference to people with influence or power. And actually instead holding fast to the command for us to love others as ourselves. That feels like something Jesus is interested in. I think it can be very easy For us to forget that there is a really strong worldview around us that says if we don't show ourselves to be people who are productive, powerful, sociable, influential, we're not a priority. So often our society undervalues those who are unwell, who aren't working, who are asylum seekers, who are elderly. As James points out, God thinks quite differently. In verse five, he says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? God is far more interested in the spiritual life of people than their societal status. God's kingdom is upside down and it's topsy-turvy. So with all this in mind, I wonder where we might notice favoritism and our own selfish gain potentially sneaking in. I wonder if we were to think about this passage for ourselves, as though James is writing it to us, who would the rich man be to us? And who would the poor man be for each of us? Who are they in this church community? Who are they in our workplaces, our families? Perhaps God is nudging us today to rethink our favoritism, our preferences, to reset our actions, to love everyone, no matter who they are or what they can give to us. Or perhaps God is actually reminding us that our obedience to the command to love others as ourselves is an outworking of the kingdom, a radical demonstration of the grace shown by Jesus towards each of us. And my prayer for us today is that we would somehow be able to let go of that worldly favoritism, let it go out of our hand so that we can hold more tightly to holy justice, fairness, and the grace that God has for us and everyone around us. And to finish off um, my talk today, I wanted to read a little um, blessing um a Franciscan blessing, which I feel kind of helps summarise some of the things I've been thinking about. So um, if you'd be up for it, you can stand if that would be really that'd be lovely. Um if you're able to. Um, and I'm just gonna read it aloud and then um, finish off with a prayer. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may wish for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Father, thank you so much for your concern for those on the margins um, thank you so much for the person of Jesus that he demonstrated attention and love to people who perhaps were unnoticed. And I pray for each of us today that where we notice favoritism may be linked to that kind of pool of influence or status that you would break that off and that instead we would pay attention to those most in need around us. Thank you for this church community. Thank you that we care so much about um, people who are struggling, but enable us to continue along that path And I pray as well that we would remember what it means to retain your royal law. That we would notice ourselves being able to love other people really well. Thank you, God, that you are a God of justice, of peace and of mercy. And I pray that we would know some of that in our own lives today. Amen.